thank you. Uh, these words that we sing are so true. Worthy is your name, uh, your greatness, uh, your beauty, it's the sum total of all of the attributes that make you God, that you are completely and perfectly and utterly holy, completely separate and other from us. At the same time, you are majesty beyond compare. You are powerful beyond measure. You are wise beyond understanding. You are far more good than we could ever dream or imagine. And yet you are merciful and patient and loving with us. You are worthy of all our praise and all of our worship and all of our adoration. We thank you that you've invited us and welcomed us, not only asked us to come, but you embrace us that the moment we enter into this place, it's like you give a giant hug and welcome us and say that you're so glad that we're here, that you would want us so much more than we want you. It's a wonder of grace and love. We thank you for it and pray that you would help us to know how much you love us and what this time means for us to be able to gather as the body. We thank you for your church. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the cleansing grace that comes to remove our guilt and to remove our shame and to remove the stains of sin that we've committed in this week and beyond. Uh, we thank you that past, present, future, uh, when we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to not only forgive us our past sins, but to purify us past, present, and future from all our unrighteousness. And we thank you that you mold us and you make us and you transform us to become more and more like Jesus. We thank you for the call that you've placed within us to be your church, not only when we come together into this room, but more importantly, as we scatter into the world, as we go into our house churches and the school and at work and our community and our youth ministry gatherings and our homes, wherever we go, we are building your kingdom. We're living on, uh, on mission for you, and we thank you that you call us together to glorify your name by equipping Christ-centered leaders who can leave here and transform the world in which we live. Thank you for our workers, our friends, our servants in different places all around the world, in Asia, in Korea, in college campuses, in mobilization, in Japan, in China, amongst the Uyghur peoples, in Jordan, um, in Turkey. Thank you, Kenny, for sharing. Um, yeah, just, and thanks for obeying and following the call of God. Um, praise God for that. Um, hey, can you look at someone next to you and say, uh, thankful that you are here today. Can you do that? Just say, thanks for being here. It's good to see you. Yeah. All right. We are in a, uh, the next series after this is, uh, well, thank, and thanks for, to, to Jenna for letting, uh, for letting Kenny go. I know it's, uh, it's really hard. Um, it's not easy for, uh, for spouses to be able to do that, but um, yeah, thanks for together seeking to build the kingdom. We are, uh, yeah, just talking about what a friend we have in Jesus and what kind of friend he is. And um, I, I know you've heard this phrase before, um, I've got friends in high places. Uh, I wanted to kind of, it'd be curious to, to find out, what is the highest place in which you've got a friend? <laughs> Where do you have friends in high places? Perhaps it's, uh, I, I had a friend who um, at the university that I attended, he was the supervisor of the aquatic and fitness center. And so anytime we wanted to after hours, we could go and we could go to the pool at the aquatic center. Uh, we never did that because I was never into swimming, but um, if we wanted to, we could. We had other friends who are supervisors of the gym, and at midnight after the gym was closed, we'd go in and we'd play. Maybe you have friends who own um, restaurants or who are dentists, and they can get you free hookups with things like that. Uh, where do you have friends in high places? Because it's nice to have friends who can give you uh, blessings and friends that come with uh, a lot of cool things attached to that relationship. Um, a few days ago, probably a few days ago, I, I got a text message from one of our harvesters who was up in New York, and they were at a baseball game. Like, they were at the Orioles and the Yankees game. Amazing game. Actually, amazing, yeah, not in the result, but amazing opportunity to go. Because this particular harvester had connections with the third base coach of the New York Yankees. 
That's crazy. And so the seats that they had were like fifth row uh, from the dugout of these amazing seats. Not only that, they had access to the legend suite at Yankee Stadium. And so they were texting pictures of the food that they were eating. There was like steak. It was like perfectly cooked. There were crab legs and the whole amazing spread of stuff. Um, and I thought, wow, it's great to be friends with the third base coach of the New York Yankees. Um, there was a, a friend of mine in, in, in the West Coast had at his church a guy who was the CEO of a major restaurant group. You probably, uh, you, most of you would probably know what it is if I had mentioned it. And he was a CEO. And so he offered my friend and their church staff of like five people and their wives said, hey, I want to fly you guys from our city down to Mexico on my private jet. And for two days, we're going to spend some time down there and you guys can eat and all the expenses paid, put you up in a hotel. Um, they thought, man, that's kind of like over the top. We can't like post pictures of that because people think we're like extravagant, like pastors, sneakers, whatever it is on that. Instagram site, and they thought, wow, this is going to be too much, but um, they ended up doing it for a couple of days and had a really good time, and I thought to myself, it's really great to have friends in high places. What is the highest place in which you've got a friend today? As we uh, began last week this sermon series on the friendship that Jesus offers to you and to me, the punchline is obvious. If you are a friend of Jesus by faith in Christ, then you have a friend in the highest place. When you have a friend in the highest place, this is not just a theoretical friendship, not just, oh, this is a nice idea, but he's a real friend who meets you in the places where you need him the most. You have a friend in the highest place if you're a child of God. And what I want to do today is I want to introduce you to a man named Peter who was in the inner ring, in the inner circle of Jesus' circle of friends. He was probably one of Jesus' two or three best friends. What I want to do today is I want to look at where that friendship began and what made Peter say friendship with Jesus is, offers so much more than I ever dreamed was possible. And because of that friendship, he left everything behind in order to cast his lot with Jesus. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at the genesis of Peter's friendship with Jesus. In this account, his name is still Simon. Jesus hasn't yet changed his name to Peter, which means the rock. Um, he goes by his given name, Simon. And we're going to look, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. What was so appealing about the friendship that Jesus offered to Peter, and how can that be the same invitation that we receive today? What does Jesus offer to us? This is the word of God for the people of God. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is how Luke calls the Sea of Galilee. Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Okay, they're done for the day. They're washing their nets, ready to go home. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is God's word. This is where uh, the friendship of Jesus and Peter really begins. In fact, it's not the first time that Jesus and Peter had met. They'd met before John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, was Peter's brother, Andrew, who first meets Jesus. And then he says to his brother, he's like, yo, brother, check it out. We found the one. Come and, and let's go visit him. 
So that was about a year, probably about a year before this account that we read here. This true story that we read here was about a year after they had first met. There had been other times where Jesus had met Peter and they'd hung out together. They'd listened to his teachings, um, most likely in John chapter 2 when Jesus at the wedding at Cana where he does his first miraculous sign. Most likely Peter was there also. Most recently, we see in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus is doing some ministry and he goes to Peter's house because Peter and his wife lived there and Peter's wife, his mother, her mother, his mother-in-law was sick. And so he asked Jesus to come. Jesus comes in, he prays and he heals Peter's mother-in-law and then they go on their way and chapter 5 comes and here's Peter. So he's aware of who Jesus is. He's not yet a devoted follower of Jesus. He believes in what Jesus is doing, and that's kind of where things are. But here's where it takes the next level, uh, where the friendship goes to the next level. The invitation that Jesus gives to Peter to be his friend is an invitation that he gives to all of us by faith. And my hope and prayer is that through seeing what Jesus offered to Peter that caused Peter to say, you know what, I'm all in with you, Jesus, that we would say the same thing. There are three things about the friendship that Jesus offered to Peter and that he offers to you. Here's three things. What, did, what, did he, what does he give to those who are friends of his? Number one, okay, Jesus, okay, Jesus enables you to do far more than you ever thought possible. If you, if you cast your lot with Jesus, if you become a friend of Jesus, he allows you to do far more than you ever thought possible. Have you ever had a friend like that before? A friend where you, you think back at your life, it's a kind of friend like Bette Midler in Beaches, um, you are the wind beneath my wings. It's Josh Groban, you raise me up to more than I could be, that, more than I thought I could ever be. Do you have a friend like that? As I mentioned a study last week from Virginia Commonwealth University, the poverty when it comes to our friendships in our day and age today is evident in the fact that many of us don't have friends like this that really challenge us and that help us to do far more than we could ever do on our own. Do you have a friend like that? When I was in sixth grade, um, in, uh, living in Virginia, sixth grade was the last year of elementary school, when to start a middle school. When I was in sixth grade, um, my family moved, and so I went to sixth grade at a, at a different school. So growing up all through fifth grade, I was kind of like middle of the pack at suburban Herndon Elementary School, okay? just a, a normal school. I was a normal kid there. But as soon as I moved to Dogwood, which was in like a, a lesser, lesser privileged area, low socioeconomic status, when we moved there into that school in sixth grade, immediately I became like the smartest person in school. Like, it was wild. I'd never been the smartest one in school. Uh, it was really exciting for me. And so I, I went there, and first question, there was another Asian girl, Vietnamese girl, and the first question people asked is, are you smarter than her? And I was like, I don't even know who she is. But uh, it was really interesting to battle against her. And so uh, there was a guy in my class. Uh, his name was Howard. And y you may have heard stories of Howard before, either in my, uh, in my sermons or in my conversations. But Howard was the first person I met who was that age, who didn't know how to read. Howard was in sixth grade, but he didn't know how to read. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how he was able to progress throughout the different grades. But Howard was also, a, he came from like a, a pretty, you know, he's a troubled background. He would always like beat us up and try to punch us and things like that. And, and so um, in school, I would always finish my work really quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't that hard for me. It was challenging for some of the other students in the class. And so if I finished my work in 10 minutes, we had 20 minutes left, Howard would come to me and he would say, David, come here. And so I would go over there and he's like, let me see your homework. And I would say, I'm not going to let you see my homework. And then he said, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> and I said, I don't want you to hit me. So he said, then either let me copy your homework or do my homework for me. So I'm not going to do it, but listen, here, um, I'm going to help you to do your homework. So I sat next to him and I, to me, like, it, this wasn't a virtuous thing. It was just, this is what you do. Like, we have, I've got all this time left in class because I finished the assignment. I've got a friend here who needs help. And so I sat there, and I helped him. And he's like, tell me the answer to this one. I said, let's read it together. Okay, read it together with me. And he would stumble across each word, and I would help him, and I would correct him. And then he would read the sentence. And I said, you did, that was awesome. So what do you think the answer is? And he would say the answer, and I would say, let's try one more time. And I would ask him, and then he would get the answer right, and then he would say, and then we'd move on to the next one. But as he was doing it, it was stuff that 
maybe he thought, probably he thought, I don't think he could have done it on his own. But as I'm helping him to read and I'm teaching him to, to, to read, he got to, to certain points. And one day my teacher, Mrs. Hardy, she called me over and she's like, David, come over here. So I came over there and um, she, just, she was just like all business, all serious. I thought I was in trouble. And she just stared at me and she said, you know what? And I didn't say anything. She said, you're a really good friend. That's what she said. I was like, in my mind, I was like, I'm not sure what you're talking about but I just kind of kept my head down, and she was just like staring at me. And she said, did you know that? You're a really good friend, helping Howard read like that, helping him to do his work. You're a really good, she said like three times, you're a really good friend. To me, I was just doing what any normal person would have been doing if they were in my shoes. I wasn't going to get beat up. I wasn't going to do his homework. I wasn't going to let him copy off me, so let's help to do this together. In that moment, again, I wasn't, I wasn't being a good friend, but she said I was, so here's what a good friend does. They help people to do more than they ever thought they could do on their own. And what Jesus is doing here is he's helping the P Peter to realize that. Here's Peter. Have you ever been in a place where you've been working hard and everything that you've done was not good enough? We sing that song, right? I'm not enough. Unless you come, will you meet me here again? Here's Peter. He's a fisherman. That means two things. One, he fishes for a living. And number two, because he does that for a living, he better be good at catching fish. The problem is he's been shut out from the fish. No fish are biting. No fish are jumping into the nets. He's got nothing. And so he's come up with his buddies. They're cleaning the nets from all of the junk from the ocean, from the Sea of Galilee, they're washing it, ready to go, to put their nets away, to go home for the day, to let their wives know that we got shut out, we didn't catch anything. And so in the boat, as they're washing their nets, Jesus starts teaching people, because the acoustics are better when you're on a boat, on the water, and he's teaching large crowds of people. And so Jesus is teaching, and here's Peter, he's about to see the first thing about Jesus that he offers to people. Peter's realized, I've caught nothing all day long. I don't know if you've ever done that before when you went fishing. The first time when Elijah was about four years old, our son was about four, he went fishing uh, with one of the aunties at the church and with a couple of the people. They went fishing, and so they would uh, put their little fishing rod, they would put the bait on it, and they would throw it in the water, and every time they would pull the, the, the hook back up, the bait would be gone. And so as Elijah was talking about his first experience fishing, his four-year-old self said, we did not go fishing. We fed the fish. We did not go fishing because we didn't catch any fish. We were feeding the fish. Now, that's okay. It's comical. If it's a hobby, it's comical if you're a kid. But if that's your livelihood, it no longer becomes funny. It's the real deal here. So here's Peter. Here's Simon. He should have been catching fish, but he's not. As he's washing his nets out, Jesus is using his boat. It says in verse 5, when he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, he said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, to understand how offensive this is, you have to, you have to realize this is a rabbi, right? Jesus is a preacher. He's a teacher. The only reason he's on the water is because he's teaching. He's not a fisherman. He's not a boat person. He's not someone who's familiar with the waters. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. Jesus, this is your lane. Before he was a teacher, preacher, he was a carpenter. He was never a fisherman. This is not what Jesus does. It's like, I don't go to you and tell you how to run your accounting business, I don't tell you how to run your construction business. I don't tell you because I don't know those things because that's not what I do. In the same way, you don't tell me how I'm going to run the church. We don't do, we have our lanes, right? We've got our lanes. Here's Jesus. He's a rabbi who was a carpenter and he says, hey, Peter, I got a good idea. <laughs> You're frustrated from fishing all night. You didn't catch anything. Let me tell you, put your nets out into deep water for a catch. Immediately, all these things are wrong. Again, it's the wrong occupation. It's the wrong vocation. It's the wrong depth of water because you don't, in the Sea of Galilee, you don't put your nets in deep water to catch fish. The fish come up in the shallow water, nor do you fish during the daytime when the sun is out. You only fish at night. That's what Peter and his buddies had been doing. Peter knows. 
this is the way to fish. This is the way to catch fish on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. And so you hear this in the words of Peter. Peter says, Simon answered in verse 5, Master, in, in verse 5, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. You can hear the despair in Peter's voice, can't you? Like, we've we worked hard all night. Like, this is where we're supposed to be working. This is when we're supposed to be catching the fish. I'm going to go home, and my wife's going to say, you didn't bring dinner home today. This is big trouble. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, and what you say doesn't make any sense to us. There's no reason why we ought to do what you are telling us to do. And yet he says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. What was it about Jesus that made Peter say, all right, we can do it? When against all logic, Jesus says, do this. You see this throughout Scripture, though. You see this throughout Scripture. You see whenever someone is a friend of God, when things don't make sense, it was Abraham when God said, hey, leave your place, leave Ur of the Chaldeans, go into the desert. I'm not telling you where to go, just go. It didn't make any sense to Abraham, but because you say so, I'll do it. Hey, Noah, I want you to start building a boat because in like some time, it's going to start pouring rain and a flood is going to come. There's no reason to think that there, I mean, there's no clouds anywhere. There hasn't been clouds for days and there's no forecast for rain. It's like crazy, but because you say so, I'm going to do it. Joshua, listen, you've got these walls and they're going to fall. They're going to fall. All you need to do is walk around them and blow your horn. Dude, that doesn't make any sense. But because you say so, and what these people learned was that when we begin to walk in obedience to who God is and what he calls us to do, then we will find ourselves doing things that we never dreamed that we could do on our own. Peter, you see this, he didn't catch anything. Jesus gives him this like strange command, he does it, and then what happens is when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They could no longer drag the, the net into shore. So they said, let's just start throwing them into the boat. And one boat gets filled. And another, John, James, come bring your boat too. They put them in another boat and both boats begin to sink. This is not a, hey, guys, this is the catch of the day. That's not what this is. This is something completely other. They know that this is not, a, this is not just, hey, this is like the best day of our lives. No, 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 no. This is completely different. To the, to the fact where they weren't just like happy, excited. It says uh, in verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished. They were shocked. This kind of stuff does not happen. And when you begin to get into a relationship with Jesus that's real, where Jesus, listen guys, Jesus is not just an ideal an idea, a picture, a thought of what a friend could be. If we could get this, guys, I think because a lot of us feel like, yeah, you know, when I need a friend, I think about Jesus. But Jesus, I said this last week, Jesus is not just an idea of what a friend is. He's a real friend to you in the same way that Peter, flesh and blood, could touch and see Jesus. That's the kind of friend he wants to be to you. That he's there and he's real and that he's available and that he enables you to do far more than you ever thought was possible. That's what Jesus does. When he enters into your life, some of you have testimonies of that. A lot of us have testimonies like that, where we begin to do things that we never thought were possible before. We were scared to death of people, and now we've been transformed to have a courage and a boldness to talk to people, even people that don't know Jesus, don't know us, and we can love them with the love of God. Before, we, our hearts were so shriveled up that we could only love one or two people, but now we begin to love whomever comes in to the doors of the church. We love anybody that we see. Before, we were so bitter and so frustrated and so angry, couldn't forgive anybody. Now we've got a source of power within us where we can forgive people. We used to not be able to, to be patient with anyone, and now we're patient, a long-suffering with people. You've seen God change you, but he wants to do so much more than what you've seen up until now. 
That's what it means when Jesus is your friend, that he enables you to do more than you could ever dream. And some of us are so frustrated because we've been banging our heads against the wall like Peter. I've fished all night and all I am is not enough. When you come to the end of your night, you come to the end of your rope, you come to the end of yourself, Jesus is there saying, listen, why don't you take a step of faith and come to me because I'll enable you. You think you don't have enough to make it as a parent. You don't think you have the wisdom to do it in your job. You don't think you're, you're, you're enough at school. Jesus says, when you become a friend to me, when you walk with me daily, intimately, the way that Peter is doing here, everything changes. You begin to serve in a different way, not in your own strength, but in the power that I give to you. You're able to overcome addictions and brokenness, and, and, and sometimes that's instantaneous, and we've seen those things. Sometimes it takes time, the sanctification process. But when you become a friend to Jesus, Peter understands. This is why he's like, you know what? I need, I need Jesus in my life. I can't do it on my own. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I can't. I need him. Because the first thing that Peter sees, and he would see this over and over, you see it on the same lake a couple years later. When Jesus says, listen, Peter, I'm here, I'm here. Peter said, Jesus, you're, so, you're the friend that I need in times of, of trouble when wind and waves are coming and we've been struggling and there's nothing left. Jesus, if it's really, if you're really, if that's really you, tell me to come. And again, it didn't make any sense, but Peter came and he began to walk on water and he would see more things like that. Peter, scared to death, three times denied Jesus in front of servant girls and people who said you knew him. He said, I didn't know him. Jesus dies. Jesus rises again in front of thousands of people. Peter stands before the people who crucified Jesus, and he preaches that you killed the Son of God, but God raised him to life, and by believing, if you repent, you can be saved, and 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? It means that he enables you to do far more than you ever dreamed was possible. He wants to be your friend, and he wants you to be a friend of Jesus so that you could see this in your life. That's the first thing that Peter saw, and it's the first thing Jesus invites us to this morning. But the second thing that we see, that not only Jesus enables you, but Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, and he gives you what you need. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, and he gives you what you need. Have you ever had a friend who you felt like, man, you know what, they just, they really know me. The kind of friend that you thank God for, the kind of friend that you just, I'm better because of them. Have you, have you had a friend like, do you have a friend like that? Someone who just, they just know you. They know when something is off in your life. They just see you, and is everything okay? You're like, I'm fine, but they know you're not. A friend who knows you better than you do. Not only do they know that something's off, they know what exactly it is that's off. They say, do you get in a fight with your parents again? Or, hey, something happened at, at work, and every time you try to, you just want to kind of clam up and not, not say or do anything, they know. They know you better than you know yourself. Not only that, they know exactly what you need. They know that sometimes you need a kick in the pants. Sometimes you need someone to cry with you. Sometimes you need them to put their arm around you. Sometimes you need a word of truth spoken into your heart. Sometimes you just need, a, just need that, that food that you love to eat, a donut from some store that you love. They know exactly what you need. And when you don't know what you need, they know you better than you know yourself. Do you have a friend like that? If you're a child of God, by faith you do. His name is Jesus. He knows. He knows you. Okay, in the deepest way possible. And he's closer to you than the closest person sitting next to you. Okay, as real as they are to you, Jesus says, I am that real. If you allow me to be, I am that real. It's just you don't see. Jesus is a friend who knows you better than you know yourself because here comes Peter. He catches all of this fish. And if I'm Peter, I don't know if I'm Peter, but I'm thinking, man, I'm a fisherman. This is my livelihood. I got two boats that are sinking. Part of me is going to be like, hey, thank you, Jesus. Like, this is going to feed us for a long time. Or part of me is thinking, maybe if I'm a businessman, maybe if I get Jesus on my squad, 
we could be the biggest fishing business in all of Galilee. I mean, this is massive, a bankroll here. You've hit the jackpot with Jesus. But I don't say any of that. No thank you. No, I've got this idea churning in my brain. Here's what Peter says. When Simon Peter saw this, verse 8, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Because for the first time, Peter's realizing that Jesus isn't just a good human being, not just a great teacher. There's something different about this man. You see, it's, it's not just that, okay, listen, he knew exactly where the fish were. Okay, in the entire Sea of Galilee, we've been fishing all night, nothing. Jesus said, hey, they're going to be right there. Jesus knew where all these fish, it's not just like one group of fish, just happened to be a group of fish, but all these fish enough to sink two boats, Jesus knew that. And so what is Peter seeing? This man is omniscient. He knows everything. It's one thing to know where the fish are. Okay? You might have a built-in sonar system that tells you where the fish are, but it's another thing to get those fish, to get into the net, to get into your boat. Because you could know where they are, you could swing out your net, and the fish could escape, but somehow every one of those fish were brought into the boat. He knew that not only was he all-knowing, but he was all-powerful. Not only was he omniscient, it's a theological word, but he was omnipotent also, that Jesus knows it all, and he is all-powerful. And so he's realizing, holy cow, this, is, this man might be divine. Remember the first time? Uh, this is maybe just me, but there was an old Superman movie, Superman, Lois Lane, and three like bad guys dressed in black. Um, it was, like, came out in the 70s or 80s, and back in those days, I mean, it was really cool. But Superman, Clark Kent, okay, the alter ego, he's like geeky, nerdy newspaper reporter, and he's always like, you know, stumbling and bumbling around. And, and Lois Lane, the girl that he likes, the girl he works with, she thinks that maybe he's Superman, because for some reason, whenever Superman's around, you're never there. Whenever you're there, Superman's never there. And, and somehow, whenever Superman leaves, you just happen to come into the picture. So she thinks, maybe this guy's Superman. He's like, it's not. I'm not Superman. I'm not. Like, watch me. And he, like, they're hanging out in some room, and there's a fireplace, and, and clumsy Clark Kent trips, and he falls into the fire. He's like, oh, and he falls into the fire. She's like, oh my gosh, Clark, are you okay? Are you okay, Clark? Oh my gosh, that's so terrible. And she's like, let me see your hand. He's like, no, no, let me see your hand. No, no, he fell into the fire, right? Let me see your hand. No, no, I don't want to show you my hand. Finally, she grabs his hand, and there's no mark on it. She looks at him, and she's like, you are Superman. <laughs> Peter looks at Jesus, and he says, you're not just a normal human being. There's something different about you. And he says, go away from me. I cannot be with you. The reason Peter's not enamored by this great catch of fish and all the business proposition that it could bring in, because this great catch of fish only highlighted the greatness, one, of Jesus and his otherness, and two, Peter's sinfulness and how completely distant he ought to be from Jesus. It's like, Jesus, go away from me. Like, I cannot be in your presence. A few years ago, uh, Olive and I were, uh, we were just hanging out one day, and I, I don't know, we've been talking about, you know, different things, and for some reason, I said, hey, you know what, um, let's cash in our credit card points. Let's go somewhere fun. So I said, where do you want to go? Where would be a great place do you want to go? And she said, y you know, like, sometimes you see these pictures on the, on the, on the beach, on the ocean, where you got an ocean and you got a pier and you walk out there and then there's like these hotel rooms on stilts in the water. They're like in the water. So there's like on stilts this, this room with a bed and, and you wake up and you're on the, on the beach, like on the water, not on the sand, but you're in the water. It's like, it would be cool to go there. Let's go to Bora Bora. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I have no idea where Bora Bora is, but let's explore. We got a lot of credit card points, so let's figure this out. I went, I logged into our account, and it says, where would you like to go? So I typed in Bora Bora. It says, when would you like to go? And I just typed in random dates, just random dates, and I hit enter. And then it does its, you know, figures out its calculations, and then it says, you do not have enough points to go to Bora Bora or anywhere near Bora Bora. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? That's so mean. I guess in their, in their objective thinking, they're like, yeah, we'll find the nearest place for you, but there's nowhere near Bora Bora that we have a hotel that you have enough points to go to. So they're basically saying, you are not worthy 
of being anywhere near Bora Bora or any of our properties that are near Bora Bora, so please try again next time. Peter's realizing, Jesus, I am not worthy to be in the same zip code, in the same area code, in the same vicinity as you because I am so sinful and you are so holy. And it's this realization that every single one of us need to come to if we're going to be friends with Jesus. Every one of us need to come to this realization that I'm not worthy to be friends with Jesus. I'm not ready to be in his, I'm not worthy to be in his presence. I'm not worthy to be anywhere near Jesus. Go away from me. It's this realization that we need to have in order for us to begin a relationship with God. Because though he realizes that this is the truth and this is the reality, he says, Jesus, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. That's not what Jesus does. Because you see, Jesus knows Peter better than he knows himself. He knows you and me better than he knows us, better than we know ourselves, rather. He knows Peter. He knows that's not what Peter really wants. Peter doesn't want Jesus to go away from him, what he really wants is not a removal of Jesus, but a removal of whatever's keeping me guilty in the presence of this Jesus. If you could actually, if you could actually remove that so that we could be together. Jesus goes beyond the text and he hears the subtext. That's what you really want. It's like the guy who likes this girl, but she's completely out of his league. You know, you've seen movies like this before. Maybe this is your story. She's completely out of his league, but she likes him. They're friends, and they've got a friendship. All of a sudden, he thinks he's got a chance, and then another dude comes, a new guy to school perhaps, and he starts liking her, and so she starts spending time with him, and he's like, what, what was I thinking in the first place? I knew, that you, I knew that I was never good enough for you, and so he says to her, I think it's better that we don't be together. I think it's better that you just, you just go on without me. Well, if she's hearing his real heart, she knows that that's not what he wants. In fact, that's the farthest from the truth. That's the last thing he wants. He thinks that that's the only possible reality, but what he wants more than anything is that she would be with him and stay with him and never leave him. And that's what Peter wants also. He says, go away from me, Lord, but Jesus doesn't give him what he asked for because he knows the deeper subtext. He knows that there's nothing that Peter wants more than to say, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. Please don't ever leave me. And so that's what Jesus does because, you see, what Peter didn't recognize that the reason Jesus came was so that he could remove what separates sinful humanity from a holy, perfect, and just God. Jesus came in order that we could be together, in order that we could be friends with God, friends with him. See, Jesus doesn't just give us whatever you say. He gives you what you really need, and he gives you what's best. He never orders the wrong gift for you because he knows you better than you know yourself. We need a friend like that, a friend who knows us. And even though we ask the wrong thing in prayer, he doesn't say, all right, fine, you ask for it, I'll give it to you. But he washes even our messed up wishes and dreams and desires and prayers in the sanctifying blood of his goodness, his power, his love, his knowledge of us that is infinitely greater than our own knowledge of ourselves. And he gives us what we desperately need. That's what Jesus does. That's what he offers to you and to me and to Peter. Second thing, the last thing that Jesus offers that causes Peter to leave it all behind is that Jesus gives you a reason to live. He gives you a reason to live that's worth giving up everything for. Jesus gives you a reason to live that's worth giving up everything for. Some friendships in life remind you that there's a purpose, a reason that you're alive, and they push you to that God-given purpose. The worst kind of friendships are the kind that you see in movies like Friday or Boys in the Hood where you're just chilling on the patio, hanging out, drinking, uh, and, and hanging out with your friends, talking all day long without ever living for a purpose bigger than your own pleasure 
kind of friends that you need are not the kind of friends that are just going to play video games in the basement all night long until you're 40 years old and still living in your parents' basement. That's not the kind of friends that you need. You need friends who are going to remind you that you've got a purpose for living. There's a reason for you to be alive that's bigger than just getting the highest score on Super Mario Kart or whatever it is that you're playing. Okay, you need people who are going to challenge you to be more than you could ever be. That's a, I mean, I, I said this in first service last week. I didn't say it here. Uh, but in the movie Goodwill Hunting, that's Ben Affleck to his friend Will. They grow up in, in, in Boston, and they're hardworking, blue-collar people. But Ben Affleck realizes that Will is a genius, that he's brilliant. And Will says to his buddy, he's like, man, my dream is that 20 years later, we're still next-door neighbors. Our kids are playing ball together. And Ben Affleck's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You are so much more than that. You're meant for so much more. Man, I would kick your butt if you're here 20 years from now. You need to get it because you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. You've got things that all of us want. You're going to go and you're going to change the world. And, and, and Will is like, dude, what are you, why are you always talking like this? Like I, like I owe it to myself to do this? And Ben Affleck looks at Will, good Will hunting, and he says, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to us. You owe it to the world. You've got a reason. You've got a purpose that's far more than just living and, and living in this, this, this broken community here and, and working. And you're meant for so much more. We all need to know that we were made for more also. That you've got a purpose for living that's bigger than what you know. All of us are looking for that sense of purpose. All of us are looking for that sense of worth, meaning, identity. You're studying hard because your parents tell you to study hard and you're getting good grades and you're getting all A's and you're, you're, you've made it to the top, but you're like, there's got to be more to this. Like, what's the point of all of this? You're working hard in your business. You're making lots of money. You're saving up. You got all the Bitcoin in the world. You got the right stocks invested into. But for what? What's the point of all that? You've got to know that there's a reason for living that's bigger than all of that stuff. There's more than having houses, more than having the best cars, more than having all the clothes that make you the envy of everybody else. What is it that you're worth that you're living for? Here's Peter waking up every day. I'm going fishing on the sea, getting fish, feeding my family. Wake up the next morning, do it again. Rinse out our nets, do it again the next day. There's got to be more than this. See, every one of us is looking for a reason, a purpose bigger for, to define and justify my existence. It's chariots of fire. It's the dude who ran that race. He said, here I am, 100-meter dash. I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. And if I don't win, then I don't know why I'm here on this earth. If only he could encounter the beauty of Jesus because Jesus is a friend who tells you and gives you a reason to live that causes you to say, everything I'm living for is nothing compared to this. What was it about Peter? What was it about Jesus? Because we're all looking for this. I, I ran into a friend of mine this week. He's a pastor in Atlanta. He grew up, not, didn't grow up in the church. He grew up as a God-hater, didn't like religion, didn't like church. Was just all this stuff happened, and he, he was not a Christian. 18 years old. On his 18th birthday, he's riding a jet ski, Coney Island, New York, riding a jet ski, gets in this accident. He almost dies, vertebrae shattered. He should have been paralyzed, but he's not. He's lying in his hospital bed, and he's like, what is the point of life? I could, I could have been dead. Like, what's the point of it all? And then he had this moment of, of realization. He said, whether I'm 18 years old or I'm 48 years old, it's going to end up the same way. I'm going to die. What's the point of all of this? Is there a reason for living? As he began to explore and began to ask, began to question, began to investigate, began to interrogate, he found in Jesus a reason to live, that he gives us reason, he gives us purpose, he gives us the motivation to go on day by day. Here's Peter fishing all night, all day. He catches this massive load of fish, but instead of saying, this is it, this is what I was made to do, Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats that were full of fish, full of literal dollars, left everything, and followed Jesus. Because in Jesus, he found the reason to live. Jesus said, listen, Peter, you're catching fish that are alive, and you're making them dead. You're going to catch men who are dead, and you're going to make them alive. That's your reason for living. It's the reason why we're here, guys. It's the reason we're here. 
to be fishers of men, to be fishers of women, to be harvesters in the harvest field, to get out and do the things that God has called us to do. Yeah, you don't have to quit your day job, but see that as your opportunity. See that as your tool to live for something far greater. For work, here's what you do. You create beauty with art. He says, now create beauty on people and let people be the canvas as you show them the beauty of Christ. Here you are. You're a real estate agent. You're helping people find their homes. Now use that leverage that help people find their eternal home in Jesus. You're helping people go from high school to college, from one step to the next. Now help them to prepare for their next step, their final step into eternity. Whatever it is that you do, use that. Find a reason that's bigger than what the world tells you you got to have. Peter said, I've got all this stuff, I've got all this stuff, but I'm leaving everything behind because I want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus because I found in him a reason to live. You were made for so much more, my friends. And whatever is keeping you from leaving your nets and following Jesus, that you would leave that behind at the shore so that you could follow him because you've got a reason for living that's far bigger than your bankroll, your paycheck, your Robin Hood account. You were made for so much more than that. And when you become friends with Jesus, the more you grow in intimacy with Jesus, the more you begin to find your life purpose, finding crystallization and clarity. Because Peter realizes, man, in, becoming, in, in, in finding Jesus and him finding me, I found the reason to live. And he said, and that's worth giving up everything for. Like Kenneth shared, Kenneth shared, he still got his job, but whenever God says, I want you to share the hope of Christ with somebody, that we would say, this is my reason. My job is a platform. My school, my education, my career, my degree, that's a platform. But my reason for being is so that I could be a fisher of people. Help them find their hope in life. Join God on this mission to find there's more to life than me, myself, and I. There's more to life than me and my family. There's a kingdom that God's calling us to build. What's keeping you today from becoming the friend of Jesus that he's calling you to be? Some of you, it's your pursuit of a corner office that's keeping you from really going all in for Jesus. For some of you, it's a desire to just keep up with the Joneses. They built a bigger house. I'm going to build a bigger house. They've got a bigger barn. I want a bigger barn. They've got more kids. I want more kids. Some of you, it's that. It's, you're just trying to keep up. And when Jesus says, hey, 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 let's put a hold on that. Take a step of faith. Put your net out into deep water. You're like, hold up, Jesus, but I got other things that I'm pursuing right now. What's keeping you from following Jesus? For some of you, it's your leisure time. It's, your act, it's, your, it, it's that time that could be invested, but you're spending it, and some, Lord forbid, are wasting it on things that you know are not going to lead to life. Maybe you realize that freedom, if you're a youth student and you're going through a 40-day video game fast, Maybe you realize that when you go through a Daniel fast and you fast from your TV shows that you're watching or Netflix that you're binging upon or those hours of YouTube videos that just go from one thing to autoplay to another thing and you're realizing, man, I'm missing out on so much more. What Peter realized here is that in knowing Jesus, I found the reason to live. And in knowing him, I found one worth giving up everything for. I've got I've got the catch of a lifetime here. But it says he left everything in order to follow Jesus in the mission of God. Because he reckoned that to know Jesus and to be a friend of Jesus, there's no greater thing in this world. When I teach Harvest 201, I often talk about this song we sing every day <coughs> in class, Knowing You. The first time that I remember singing that song, I was in a football stadium in D.C., about 50,000 other men. I was a college student. And we were being challenged from the stage, the world needs better men. Not men of this world, but men of God. Godly men, men of integrity, men whose word is their bond, men who would lay down their lives for what really matters in life, men who latch on to a purpose bigger than their own life. We need men who will be better men, who will be better workers, who will be better friends, who will be better husbands, who will be better uh, fathers. We need men who will be better, better, better men, biblical men. And as they challenged us, he said, the only way we'll do that is when we encounter Jesus. Last song we sang, 50,000 of us together, was knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. 
And as I was singing that as a 20, 21-year-old college student, like I looked aside of me and there was probably, I, I don't know, 20, at least 20. 20 dudes from a biker gang, all Harley Davidson kind of dudes, leather jackets, leather cutoff, uh, earrings, uh, handlebar mustache, sunglasses, do-rags, the whole nine yards. They played the part, man. They had tattoos everywhere. 20 of these men, and I remember first looking at them, I'm like, yeah, I don't know why they're here. That was my judgmental college mentality. But as the day went on, they're listening to the word, and they're, I mean, I don't know, I don't know. But at the end of the time, as they're singing, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, I really meant that song with my heart, but I looked over and I saw these men, biker men, holding hands, their eyes closed, crying, lifting their hands, some of them wiping tears away saying, knowing you, Jesus, all I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. All Peter once held dear were his boats, his fish, left it all behind. Maybe for these biker dudes, it was their reputation as being a strong, tough man. Maybe for you, it's your future, it's your career, it's your dreams, it's your hurts. What keeps you from leaving things behind to follow Jesus? Because Peter reckoned if Jesus could remove that infinite chasm between a holy God and sinful person like me, then that's the person I want to go with. Jesus removed and said, do not fear, because at the cross he took the punishment for Peter's sins, for your sins and for mine, in order that we could be intimate friends with Jesus. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me, that we could be friends of his, and we could walk together the way that he intended it to be. You grow in your friendship with Jesus. He gives you the world. He enables you to do far more than you could ever dream. He knows you better than you know yourself and gives you what you truly need, and he gives you a purpose to live, purpose that we're all looking for. Will you be his friend? Will you accept that gracious invitation? so that his dreams for you could be realized in your life. Let's pray together. What's holding you back? What keeps you from following Jesus with everything within? For some of us, it's fear. For some of us, it's doubt. For some of us, it's comfort. For some of us, it's the hope of more and better in this life. But what if someone told you that the more and better that you're seeking really leads you to a deeper sense of emptiness and will only bring you back to where you began. Jesus is here. He offers you the things in life that you so deeply and desperately need. He wants to give himself to you. Let's pray for a few moments right now, asking the Lord that he would help us. Maybe even now, that you would leave behind whatever holds you back. A little bit of extra sleep, perhaps. A little bit of leisure time that keeps you from running to Jesus, finding life the way it was meant to be lived. Let's pray for a few moments before I pray and lead us into our next part of our time. Let's pray together for a few moments.